You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. Welcome to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. I'm Sean Stevens, and today we're covering e-mental health with GP and e-mental health expert for the Black Dog Institute, Dr. Jan Orman. Welcome, Jan. Thanks, Sean. Thank you for having me. Well, Jan, perhaps if we start at the very basic level, what is e-mental health? E-mental health is by definition, resources that are available online to use to help your mental health. And that includes websites for psychoeducation, apps that you might want to use for symptom management and online treatment programs. It's as simple as that. What it's not is telepsychiatry and there's often some confusion about that. So just digital resources available to help you with your mental health. Okay, excellent. And obviously that's going to be a burgeoning area. So I went to your talk at GP17 and I remember you outlined a stepped model of care of mental health treatments. Can you please outline this for our listeners and elucidate where e-mental health fits into this model? Stepped care is really not an outrageous or unusual idea. It's what we all do in general practice all the time. We match the severity of the illness to the intensity of the treatment. The term stepped care got into the mental health conversation with the fifth national federal plan for mental health and suicide prevention that you might remember came out in about 2015, I think. But step care in mental health as an idea came from Britain in the 1990s. It's really logical. It just means people with low level, low severity mental health conditions get low intensity treatments and people with more severe conditions get higher intensity treatment. And as general practitioners, we are to a large extent the gatekeepers for that. And we provide a lot of the lower level care, Mm -hmm. part of your standard consulting. You did ask too where e-mental health fitted into all of that. And of course, e-mental health is a low intensity intervention. It's particularly low intensity if you're referring people to websites to get some information about their conditions and a bit more intense if you're referring them to online treatment programs. So it fits in that low intensity definition. And yes, we do deliver low intensity interventions ourselves in our consulting rooms. And some of us are more capable of delivering those interventions than others. Yeah, you definitely see that. There are some GPs, say, who like doing skin cancer who perhaps don't enjoy the e-mental health side of it quite so much. There are some GPs who will tell me very forthrightly that they're just not interested in mental health and don't want anything to do with it. And look, that's one of the advantages of modern general practice. We all have to cover to a degree, all of general practice, but when you, I guess you get to the higher levels of treatments of certain conditions, certain GPs will do the extra training and, and will do that. Yeah, look, Sean, I just don't think it's GPs who need to know something about low intensity mental health interventions. Every medical specialist in every area meets people whose mental health is interfering with their quality of life, making their illnesses worse and making them not able to manage their illnesses well. So in my view, these e-mental health resources these low intensity resources are something that your local dermatologist and your general surgeon and every medical specialist needs to know about. Okay, that's a good point. So when I speak to a lot of GPs, I say to them, look, it's convenient, it's great, it's good for the low intensity stuff, but a common refrain is, well, what does the research say about the efficacy of this online treatment? Can you 
outline that a bit for yeah, us. Yeah, I hear that a lot as well. <laughs> and <laughs> if you remember that online mental health treatment programs, we're steering away from websites and apps at the moment, but the treatment programs are basically delivering cognitive behavioural therapy skills training to patients, then that's what you have to compare the online programs with, face-to-face delivery of CBT skills training. And in many, many research trials, the online delivery of CBT skills training has been shown to be as effective as face-to-face manualized skills training delivery, and that's for anxiety conditions in particular, but also for depression and stress. And if you want to read some more about the evidence, a really good place to go is the eMental Health in Practice page of the Black Dog Institute website, or alternatively to the This Way Up website. This Way Up is a suite of programs developed at this CRUFAD and St. Vincent's Hospital, which covers a whole range of anxiety disorders and depression. And the joy of This Way Up is that it it has the most evidence of any of the Australian programs to support its use. And on its evidence page of the website, you can see all the papers and the meta-analyses that contribute to this belief that online CBT delivery is as effective as face-to-face CBT delivery. Yeah, I remember reading that and I remember that from your talk. It really surprised me, I'm must admit. You would think just intuitively that having a face-to-face would be better, but it's reassuring to know that it's not. And the other thing for me is it's a hell of a lot more convenient to do it at home and in front of a computer than it is to take the time to drive to the counsellor or psychologist, sit in their waiting room, be there for an hour, drive back, etc. And not to mention cost. And organise the babysitter <laughs> as well as take the yeah. time. There are a lot of ways in which doing something online is significantly more convenient. And it's good to know that for many, many people, it may be all they need. But the great thing about the online online therapy too is that you can use it in the context of your care of a patient to augment their face-to-face care. When I first started doing this work, talking to people about online programs, so many people knew nothing about it, didn't even know it existed. But as time goes by and more people know about it, people are working out ways of integrating it into their practices. It's really important that if you recommend an online program, that you recommend something specific and that you also introduce the patient to it. So you show some enthusiasm and some belief in the program because engaging with the program is often a big deal, a difficult thing for people. And the other thing that as practitioners we need to do is follow up our recommendations. So those things can make a difference to how well people engage with the online programs. The other thing that doing something online does is takes away any embarrassment that people might have about seeking treatment for mental health conditions. And I know we probably shouldn't be dancing around the stigma. We should be looking it straight in the face, but we have to be realistic about these things. Some people will not walk through the door of their local psychologist or their local psychiatrist, particularly if they live in small communities. They're still embarrassed about it, if not ashamed about it. And sometimes these online programs can be a preferred option for that reason. And sometimes people will go to -to face-to-face therapy after they've experienced the online options and realise they're not as confused fronting as perhaps they first thought. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's really good. And and I've found there's a particular patient group here in Western Australia. We have a lot of fly-in, fly-out workers mm-hmm. you know, who spend three, four weeks away and then one week back home. 
And for that particular group, it it works quite well too. Mm -hmm. Earlier this year, I had the pleasure of talking to a group of circus workers and they pointed out to me that they're never in the same place for very long at all. And for them, the online options were a very good idea. So there are a lot of itinerant (coughs) people for whom this is an excellent option. Yeah, definitely. You've got to pick your treatment to your patient. So if we look at the different treatment programs available and how to find out more about them, Mm -hmm. are you able to give us perhaps your top three to five resources? Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of finding out about programs, I said for a long time that the Beacon website was the right place to go to find out about programs and resources, but it lost its funding for a while, so it hasn't always been the best place to go to get that information. It's back up and running again, and the joy of Beacon, as opposed to something else I'll tell you about in a minute, is that it actually rates the programs according to the evidence available. It's got this five smiley face rating system, and you can see at a glance what the programs are, who they're meant for, and what the evidence is to support them. I understand that you're familiar with the Beacon website, are you, Sean? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, look, I love it. It's my go-to resource when I know what the patient's condition is, but I'm not sure what a mental health resource would be appropriate. And the way I use it, I go there, I log on the condition and it lists, as you know, 20, 25 odd conditions. So OCD, for example, click on OCD, it lists the resources available, rates them with smiley faces. What I do is then click on that resource and I print out the beacon summary, which has a link to the resource. Mm-hmm. And, and it works really well for patients. Then They're then able to Google it. They can read. And I point out that this is not that resources assessment of themselves. It's an independent assessment of that resource. Mm-hmm. And that seems to provide reassurance for patients. There's another way of going about finding out about resources online, and that's via the Head to Health website. Head to Health is a portal to digital mental health care that was introduced by the federal government in October of last year. It's meant to be a community-facing portal, so it doesn't have the information about evidence on it. But it's got a fantastic facility called SAM, the chatbot where the user can actually type in the symptoms that they're having or the things that they're concerned about with regard to their mental health. And Sam will use an algorithm to find the most appropriate resources for them to use. You can filter it according to social subgroup or age group. And you can also print out a list of those resources, or you can directly email a list of the recommended resources to your practitioner or conversely to your patient, and the patient can take it from there. So that's another option. That's head to health.gov.au and it's really worth knowing about either for your patients to do the exploration or for you to do the exploration too. There's another really good resource online and that's on the eMental Health in Practice website. It's a regularly updated resource book listing all the Australian evidence-based eMental Health resources that you can use and it's organised in a way that makes it very easy to find things. You can either use it online or you can get a hard copy of that resource book if you contact them via the website. So that's three different ways of finding out what programs are available for particular conditions. I think that's what you need because it's very easy to get overwhelmed. There's so much stuff out there these days that I think having a a resource that catalogues the resources is Mm -hmm. the best way to go. I think it's terribly important. I can see that we're talking about all these resources and ways to find out about the resources and I know that some GPs get totally overwhelmed by the idea of it and say, why should I know about this anyway? I think it's important to remember that there's an awful lot of people out there who aren't getting any treatment for their mental health problems. And it's really, I think, 
part of our job to identify people who have got low-level mental health problems so that we can intervene and perhaps prevent them from becoming more serious mental health problems and indeed to identify the people that are vulnerable to developing mental health problems and point them towards things that will increase their resilience. It's all very well us giving them advice, but people may or may not listen to our advice, but um, that can reinforce your advice with something online that is a much more effective thing to do. Definitely. And if I can throw in one last resource using the extremely convincing trial evidence of N equals 1, shut-eye is absolutely brilliant for insomnia in the right patient setting. My wife suffered from insomnia for probably 15, 20 years, you know, you go and see the sleep physician and they do a sleep study and they find mild sleep apnea. But what I've found the sleep physicians don't do is they don't look at CBT or as it's called CBTI, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And if you look at the evidence, that is actually more important than for most cases of of insomnia than most other causes. And my wife did it and she she said it's revolutionized her life. She now sleeps a heap better and is a lot more alert during the day. And she said, look, it was really tough doing it early on, but it was definitely worth it. And look, I'm not just saying, you know, I'm joking N equals one. There is also plenty of evidence behind that. And I think it's something that our sleep physician colleagues don't yeah. mention. And I think really should be. I think you're absolutely right. I'm delighted to hear that your wife's had some positive results from it. And indeed, (laughs) there is a bunch of evidence to support the use of shut-eye in particular and the other insomnia courses. Did you know that there were other online insomnia courses based on ICBT? I didn't. I got shut-eye actually from, again, your talk at GP17. Shut-eye is an American program, so I'm not allowed to talk about it except to say that if you do (laughs) buy shut-eye, Black Dog Institute gets a small portion of the the cost of your doing shut-eye. There is a benefit to my institute in particular in your doing it, but I do need to tell you about the Australian Evidence-Based Insomnia Program, and that's the one from This Way Up. Now, you might already know that the diagnosis-specific online programs from This Way Up mostly cost $60 each to do. It's an exception in the range of Australian programs in that it actually costs money, but the group that developed this way up decided that people only valued what they paid for. Interestingly, there are three courses Mm. on this way up that are totally free and the insomnia course is one of them. And so that's one worth knowing about. And also there's an insomnia module, a much more truncated module in the Black Dog Institute's My Compass program that's worth knowing about. My Compass is a transdiagnostic program for depression, anxiety and stress that has modules that can be done in any order. So they might be about relaxation or mindfulness or increasing pleasurable activities. There's a special module for men, another one for people experiencing psychological distress with diabetes. And there's this insomnia module too. So in terms of insomnia, there are other choices. There's shut-eye, this way up, and the My Compass Sleep module. But while we're on the subject of particular problems for general practitioners, I wonder if you know that there are also two fabulous pain management programs that patients can do online. And I think in this day of rescheduling codeine, there's a lot more falling on our shoulders in terms of non-pharmacological management of pain. We need to know a lot more about it and we need to be able to deliver some of the CBT that goes with 
pain management. So the two programs are This Way Up's program, which cost $60 and was developed in conjunction with the pain clinic at St. Vincent's Hospital, and a program from Macquarie University's MindSpot Virtual Clinic. Now, MindSpot is free, and the other unique thing about MindSpot is that it's guided self-help. They call themselves a virtual clinic because they don't leave patients to work their way through the program by themselves. Each of their programs, the pain program, the OCD and PTSD program and the four trans diagnostic programs. In doing each of them, you have contact with a practitioner at Macquarie University who will guide you from the time you register through each of the modules of the program. There are five lessons that are meant to be done over eight weeks, so they provide very good guided self-help for people who want to do those programs. So that's something really worth knowing about. Free online guided self-help from MindSpot. Brilliant. These are all the sorts of resources that you need because with GPs, appointments being so time pressured and these things do take time, it's nice to know that there's help and resources out there. So just looking to wrap up then, how can GPs improve outcomes for our patients that use mental health? Can I just say that this will only work if we work in a way that excites and encourages people to engage with the programs. What was it that made your wife stick with Shutter? It was my enthusiasm for it. You're right. It was, I saw the evidence. I knew what a problem this had been for her. And I said, look, give this a go. And look, it was tough. There was periods uh, where she was in tears and she was ready to chuck it in, particularly the sleep deprivation in the first couple of weeks. But she did stick it out. And yeah, she's so glad that she did. But I think if she hadn't have had that encouragement and support, and she's she's doing a PhD, she's a smart woman, she's very evidence-based and pointing out to her the evidence of so it. So you're saying helped. enthusiasm from the person that recommended the program is really important and encouragement as the person goes through the program. And you know, that's a fabulous example of what I'm constantly saying to practitioners, that you need to be enthusiastic at the outset and you need to encourage people to continue and to follow them up. You can't just give people a sticky note with a URL on it and tell them to go do this program. You've got to introduce it to them on your desktop, maybe have your practice nurse go through the registration process with them and before they leave on that day that you recommend it, make the appointment or the follow-up visit. And I think those things done by GPs will make a big difference to the kind of impact that these programs have on the community mental health at large. Yeah, look, our patients do really trust us. Once they've known us for a number of years, we are their point of contact for all health-related things. And I agree with you, our encouragement can make a huge difference. So really the onus is on us to get to know these programs so that we'll have them up our sleeves to recommend to appropriate people. And I have to say, get to know one or two to start with. Then you'll feel comfortable about those two and you can move on to others. Yeah, definitely. It's like anything. You know, there might be 10 ACE inhibitors, but you get comfortable with one Absolutely. It's exactly the same. So if we can just recap uh, with our three take-home messages, during our conversation, I would say one of the key things is the stepped care model. So e-mental health is appropriate for mild to moderate mental health issues. As GPs, our encouragement and enthusiasm and knowledge can dramatically improve outcomes and compliance. And 
there's a number of key resources. So Beacon 2.0, I really like ShutEye. And there's one that I didn't mention, the, the Mood Assessment Program. They're three of the ones that I use probably the most. Jan, do you want to just recap yeah, your Bearing in mind that form? the Mood Assessment Program is an online diagnostic tool to help practitioners rather than a treatment program for patients. But in terms of treatment programs, yes. remember that they're mostly CBT. They're guided or unguided. They're mostly linear, but my compass is modular. They're mostly free, but this way up you have to pay for. They're mostly transdiagnostic, but there are some diagnosis-specific programs. So I've got a little table of those where I've tried to divide them up into a much more digestible group. And you can find that in the Australian Journal of General Practice article that was published in April of this year. Those are the things that are important. Head to Health, the specific programs, just getting to know one, and also for developing Developing resilience in mental health, take a look at the adolescent website called Biteback, which has a six-week mental fitness program on it that's designed for adolescents, but in truth is actually good for everyone. Okay, thank you. Now, if people have got queries or questions, because we have covered a lot of ground here, they are able to get in touch with you? My email address is j.orman, you spell that O-R-M-A-N, j.orman at blackdog.com. .org.au. Great. And of course, we love to hear from our listeners. So for other suggestions or topics, please get in touch with The Good GP at thegoodgp, all one word, at gmail.com. And we hope to see you next time. Jan, thank you very much for speaking with us. Thanks, John. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the eMental Health podcast. Since this got recorded, it's come to our attention that the Shut Eye course, which I spoke extensively on, is actually closed for a clinical study. The next best option is one called Sleepio. That's www.sleepio.com, and it's got just as good a rating as the Shut Eye. The other thing is people have mentioned that they missed a number of the resources because there were so many covered. If I could just emphasize one resource and that's Beacon 2.0 which is run by the Australian National University and that links to multiple other mental health resources that are available on the internet and gives them excellent ratings. So that again is Beacon 2.0. Thanks. (music) 